We're going to need a strong development finance institution, and um, I've been really pleased with the the rollout to date for the new DFI. I think Edward Burrier and uh, David Bahigian, I think, are some really excellent leaders. Um, I'm very uh, pleased by the support the Trump administration has given them and, and the bipartisan support in the Congress. Um, we're going to... Um, we're going to unpack the DFI in this in this conversation, and I think that I want to first thank uh, Ramina Bandura for all of her hard work and, and Owen Murphy. Um, we um, the report I think is largely their their labors over the last eight months. Uh, we had colleagues go to Tunisia, Guatemala, and Indonesia, or Philippines I think it was Philippines, and we're going to have case studies that talk about. How should we think about the DFI in the context of these three countries? I think later this week, right, Owen? Right? Okay. So, Ramina, you're going to come up now, right, and you're going to go through some of the slides? Yes? Okay. Like the champion. And uh, the third uh, would be, which is tied to, to, to the second one, um, a lot of the stakeholders and don't know, you know what the DFC does, what a DFI does, what's the purpose. Uh, and even um, officials in, in, in U.S. government agencies don't know what the purpose of a, of a DFI is. So creating a, a strong communication strategy uh, at the beginning to explain, um, you know, we're here, we're new, we're, you know, we, we're, we're in business. Um, also training for different um, st staff in, in the agencies and uh, uh, a system of, of staff secondments would, would be really um, important for each agency to understand what the what DFC does. Um, the fourth is um, the agency needs proper staffing. Uh, it, will, um, it will have new tools such as um, equity authority. It it's developing a new performance management system. All these new functions will need um, Good human uh, resources. It will have to uh, increase its 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 portfolio, and uh, all this will, will require um, different skills and more staff. And what we also heard on the ground is that um, you know deals matter when you have face-to-face -face interactions. And we're not saying that DFC should set up an office in every country that it it has um, you know operations in, but. Uh, a system of maybe regional offices or uh, maybe using some firms, vetting some firms on the ground to source deals uh, for the DFC. Or even, you know, we have representatives from IFC, ADB. Why is it um, crazy to think about, like, um, an agreement between agencies to share pipelines and um, source deals that way? Um, the fifth one is um, related. It's strategically collaborate with ally DFI strategically. There are countries um, such as Philippines that really don't need lending. You know, they have uh, liquid banks, but there are cer certain, you know, underserved sectors such as, um, you know, small and medium enterprises or agriculture um, that are not being served by, by the, na the national banks. So, you know, the, the DFC could help uh, through Loan portfolio guarantees, which they do with you know USAID, uh, the DCA office, or developing you know um, the bond markets to finance uh, urbanization. These are areas that are a little bit more 
uh, sophisticated. There are another set of countries, you know, low-income countries uh, and low-middle-income countries that um, have, you know, more um, needs to to do grants or uh, the set the whole set of, of uh, financing instruments that the DFC can offer. But they will also need help from um, other MDBs to. Uh, either uh, enact policy reforms and uh, use financing and policy challenges that we talked about. So uh, how can the DFC support these three uh, foreign policy challenges? First, the, the issue of you know, the DFC and, and the US offering an alternative development model to China. The DFC is part of the, of the answer to China, but it's not the full response. Um, so it's not the, you know, the US version of the Belt and Road Initiative. We have uh, to communicate and market ourselves better in terms of the US intel intangible assets that we have, which are um, you know, quality in projects, transparency in processes, debt sustainability, and capacity building in, in the country. Um, we need to also invest in projects where, as I mentioned, US has a comparative advantage. And really, this is a chance to work with other DFIs to leverage uh, more more private capital in, into the countries. Um, so this is the way that you know we can we can offer an, a better alternative um, to China. Regards, you know, like a, a good alternative, a good buffer that that uh, the DFC could work on. And then finally, the last um, the last is countering violent extremism. Um, we. Some of the you know experts we interview were like, no, this is not an area where the the DFC, a, a traditional DFI, should be um, you know doing any work. Um, but you know, this is a, a we're not saying the DFI, the DFC should be um, you know the, is going to solve this this issue. This is this issue is complex. It it not only requires financing, but it requires you know diploma, diplomacy and security efforts. Uh, it's a space that um, uh, the DFIs will be asked and are, you know, being asked to go into, and it will require a lot of um, building knowledge and experimenting. Uh, we have in our panel, um, you know, uh, Olivier Lavenal, who will talk a little bit more about about this, what the MDBs could do in this. And the C is going to kick in, but maybe we could talk a little bit about what may or may not happen on, on October one and what that means. But sure. before we get there, um, when the Trump administration first came into being, in the first couple of months, there was an intention to get rid of OPEC. You'll remember this. You were on the Hill. You're working with Ed Royce. And I wrote an article saying, we don't need to get rid of OPEC. We need to put it on steroids. You've quoted that to me a couple times. So I was, I was really pleased that you actually read it. Thank you for reading it. But we said we need to put it on double steroids. Um, and there was some, something happened. What was the something that happened between public statements or intentions or signaling from the Trump administration that we were going to zero out OPIC to, in essence, putting it on double steroids, which is what leads, brings us to this conversation today, the report, and what's going to happen in a few, in the next week, hopefully. So what happened, Edward? Yeah, sure. Well, thanks a lot for having me here. I really appreciate it. And there's a lot of great advocates here on China. And we're able to come to the table and just articulate how we could help meet both those goals, how moving DCA's program, which is OPIC-like, to, uh, uh, to OPIC under one roof made a lot of sense. And then just really 
you know, between the port in Sri Lanka that really woke up people to what China's doing overseas. Um, and then we had great advocates on Capitol Hill. And all this came together to, to guess where we So were. let me just put a pin on this issue. That it's, I think every member of Congress knows about the port in Sri Lanka. They may not be able to pronounce it, right, Hambento to port, but they know about it. I think every member of Congress I've ever met knows what the Belt and Road Initiative is. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. And I'd say every member of Congress knows what the Asia Infrastructure Investment Bank is. They're not sure if you can get money from an, a, an ATM out of the AIIB, but they know we're not a member of it, and we don't necessarily want to become a member of it anytime soon. Right? I think those are all fair. I think that's all real. So would you say it was the port? The port deal is what was the wake-up call? Well, I mean, be very conservative again. We need to judge us across the portfolio. Um, we're going to have a couple Don't judge us on one deal. Judge us across all of our deals. How many deals do you do, Edward, a year at OPIC right now? Uh, that would probably be about 120, I'd say. So, so we should just fairly say about 100 or so deals a year is what the new deal. It could be 100, could be more. But if there's one bad apple, because we're asking you, the Congress and folks in comfortable think tanks like myself have said, we need you to go down market, go to these harder places. We need to give, cut you guys some slack if one or two of those deals Aren't, aren't, you know, aren't the next Amazon or the next Apple, right? Yeah, Is that that's fair? Right. that fair? That's correct. Okay. So I think that's important. We've asked you to go to harder places, so we need to give you a little bit more grace and understanding that some of these deals are smaller, they're harder, and some of them may not work out, right? Sure. Okay. All right. So one last thing. I want to talk about one of the things, when, when I worked at IFC, the rap on OPIC was... I'll, I'll start kind of with our other government agencies and then go to working with some okay. of the other, other DFIs. But, you know, I think uh, part of this obviously is going to be the DFC's work with USAID. Um, uh, Administrator Green and, and AID, they have their private sector engagement strategy. And just with, as you've written about, just all the trends in development are about following this model. I mean, this is the future of how these challenges are going to be tackled. And so if we, the United States, are going to maintain our leadership in development, it's just imperative that these two institutions are, are working hand in glove. And so we've been working very hard with, with the folks at AID to identify the folks in the missions that are going to be the point of contact for the DFC, a manual for them so that they know how to, how to contact us. And I think importantly, you know, putting this actually in their performance plans, which is like part of their job. It's their, literally part of their job description now to work with the DFC. So I think those are some of the things that we're doing with policy forward. And so that's what I'm most excited about. And then with the allies, the equity tool is tremendously uh, uh, helpful. Uh, it is essential. Um, before that's kind of, because we were the skunk at the party and operating on different terms, this allows us to come on the same exact terms and, and um, um, have greater cooperation with our allies. All right, you've all been very patient. Let me take two questions from this group, and then we've got to go to the other panel. Uh, otherwise, I'll ask questions all day long. Okay, so, okay, this woman here and this gentleman here. Okay, microphone. Name, rank, and serial number. Come on, Sundar. This gentleman here first. Extra credit if you keep your question or statement short. <laughs> okay. I will do my best. Um, I had a question on 
whether or not there was within that scope of adequately staffing the DFC if there was a let um, and read both of them we've got enough uh, we've I think we've covered enough for now please join me in thanking Edward and congratulate Edward and APIC. we got to do a set change thanks Dave. you're welcome also an affiliate here at NCSIS. Um, Jim Mazzarella, he's uh, now Senior Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs for the World Wildlife Fund. Um, Jim was um, at the National Security Council. He's one of the architects of the, of the DODAG and the DFC, so we have uh, one of the parents um, here present. Uh, and then um, next to Jim is um, Neil Gregory, Neil is a thought leader. Oh, you can't hear me? Okay. Um, Neil Gregory is a, a thought leader. Uh, he's a chief thought leadership officer at the International Finance Corporation, IFC. Um, so thank you, Neil, for, for being here. And then uh, we have Olivier Lavenal. Uh, he's manager of the Global Concessional Financing Facility at the World Bank Group. We're going to be talking a little bit about this issue of uh, DFIs and um, stability and violent extremism with Olivier. And last but not least, Edgar Villanueva. Edgar came from Guatemala to be here. Um, thank you for, for, for being here. Um, Edgar is executive director of the US Guatemala Business Council, and he represents um, Guatemalan businesses and US businesses to, um, in, in this country. So. Um, let me start uh, with Jim. Jim, we heard a little bit about you know, the, the Build Act and how the DFC came about. Um, can you give us you know, your perspective on, on this success? Because you know, three years ago, we, we wouldn't have uh, had this happy you know, moment. Uh, so can you uh, tell us a little bit your experience? Sure, thank you. Thanks for being here and, and for the report. I thought it was really interesting and, and really well done. Um, that had to come together to go from being zeroed out in the budget to um, having a you know working with other DFIs um, you've you've also been working you know you're, you're from IFC or you you've been also working a lot on um, fragile states uh, how do you see this you know DFI collaboration going forward where are some entry points um, is there, in our report, we say, well, maybe, you know, the DFC could establish MOUs with other DFIs to share, you know, share pipelines. Is that a crazy idea? Or, you know, what, what are your thoughts on concrete, concrete 
things that you know others can can do together, not just you know um, high level uh, announcements. Thanks. So, I mean, first thing I'd say is, you know, welcome to the family. I think there is very much a network of uh, development finance institutions that do uh, collaborate as much as we, we compete with each other. Um, and, you know, I, I think DFC can uh, make, well, through this uh, new structure, Leapfrog, to be one of the, one of the larger members of, the, of that network. And so can can play an influential role. And I think all of these development finance institutions are being pushed to go into the harder places. And what you find there is that there isn't so much a shortage of capital, but a shortage of investment opportunities. And so, you know, I think we've been very honest in our conversations along the way to say, if you just add another DFI chasing the same deals in the same difficult places, it's not going to add any, any value for anybody. So where I think you know, the opportunity is to actually expand the pie and a, a bigger pool of investment opportunities for all of us. So for me, I would think less about sharing of investment pipelines than to focus on what you do actually upstream of the project pipeline. And again, thinking about this whole of US government's approach, what can you do in partnership with the Millennium Challenge Corporation, in partnership with AID, to actually pursue the policy reform, the regulatory reform, bring in new uh, investors, really put the pieces together to actually create markets and create investment opportunities. And that is where I think we can do. The toolkit that they now have between still loans and loan guarantees, but now they can do local currency loans, now they can do equity, they have technical assistance that they can mix in. Um, and within all of that, they can really take some, they have a lot more flexibility to invest on different terms than they could before. Um, and so that really will allow them to do a whole lot more, especially on the development side. And I think on the development mandate side, there's a very clear mandate from Congress in the BUILD Act that this is a development agency. It's not simply uh, a private sector investment focused arm. Um, and so there's a, you know, OPIC has set a clear um, target. They want to be in the lower income countries. They want to be in lower middle income countries. They have heard that. Um, these tools will give them that ability to do that. And I think there's two ways, um, both of which have been touched upon by Neil and by Olivier, but the first is on risk. Um, the tools that they get, that they have now, will allow them to support talks about is a good first step to get people on the same table around um, looking at development finance issues, um, thinking about you know where where is their policy dialogue that's needed to you know, break down barriers where the regulatory reform issues that might need to be dealt with. Um, but the DFC will only be as strong as it is with the other agencies around it. I mean, I think MCC is a great example of the potential. I think you can really, DFC and MCC could really look at compacts that are in development and look at where the DFC could slot in to help bring in additional financing for the projects that they're looking at. Um, you know, that, that, that's the infrastructure projects that MCC is supporting. That could be a great role for the DFC to do. Um, and it could really go a long way to addressing some of the sustainability issues that we've seen with some MCC compact projects over the years. Okay, we have, um, we have a few minutes left. Uh, one, one thing that um, came up a lot in the um, interviews we did is that the U.S. is lacking, um, you know, visibility. that's concerned about uh, uh, open procurements, uh, less corruption, economic or uh, environmental sustainability of their projects, um, financial sustainability. 
everybody's got to come together and sort of push back on, on corruption wherever it is and wherever it's coming from. And so it's one of the main arguments for having equity authority, which Connor was talking about, is the fact that the other uh, DFIs around the world weren't interested in uh, partnering with OPEC because we didn't have equity authority. And so that was that this coordination piece was the was the one reason why um, we were able to get equity authority into into the agency. Yeah, I don't have much else to add other than I do really think. I mean, Edward and the other leadership at the at OPIC and what will become the DFC have been very clear that they want to find ways to work more closely with the multilateral development banks and with the other DFIs. Um, you know, J Jim's right. You you really can't do much of this. That's the way. That's where it can really differentiate itself. I don't know if anybody wants to. Okay, so uh, we're, we're right on 3.30, so thank you very much for, for coming, and please thank, thank our, our panelists.